Welcome to Yahoo Finance's podcast. I'm Jen Rogers, joined as my co-host today. By Miles Udlin. Hi. Do you watch ESPN, Miles? I do. You do? Okay. I'm not a huge watcher of ESPN. I like it. Yeah, I watch it a lot less than I used to when I had cable and I was, you know, getting ready for school in the morning and it was just on. Now the TV doesn't really go on unless there's, you know, a game on or something. Well, guess what? I, it doesn't seem like you're alone. Uh, in May, ESPN laid off more than 100 on-air personalities. I guess actually people that, you know, sports fans and viewers know and recognize, yeah, you know, not just like names. writers yeah, just well, toiling away in obscurity. Know, ES- ESPN has sort of made writers stars in a way. You know, John Clayton, NFL writer, had become a star even though he was, you know, not just a reporter. But, uh, and now he's no longer with the company. So, yeah, they, they've laid these people off. We had a big scoop about it. We did. And we're going to bring on the man that had the scoop. That would be Yahoo Finance's Dan Roberts. Dan, welcome to the program. What's up? Hey, guys. Uh, hey, Dan. So talk to us about these, these layoffs. How big a deal was this for ESPN? Well, it's interesting. This was not by any measure, the biggest round of layoffs they've had in the recent past. Uh, two years earlier, they, they cut something like 300 people, and two years before that, cut 300 people. But in those rounds, we're talking about producers, uh, tech people, uh, you know, all of the many employees of a big, big, big company, the you know, so-called worldwide leader in sports, many of them based in Bristol, Connecticut, that you and I don't know and haven't heard of, and you know, the average worker. Uh, But this was much more notable and much more covered and people went crazy. And it's because, as you said, it's people that we see on TV. Uh, It's, you know, hosts who've been on SportsCenter. Uh, It's writers. But as Miles said, ESPN puts many of its writers on the radio and on TV. And in fact, on-air personalities is a label that ESPN uses to apply to any writers, TV people or radio. So I think this was a wake-up call in the sense that everyone jumped on the ESPN train and started freaking out and people started scrambling for reasons as to why they think ESPN is struggling. And that's where it got interesting. Yeah. So um, before we go there, Dan, can you just kind of set the scene on maybe some of the characters we're talking about, some of the notable people that listeners might be familiar with, Sports Center hosts, uh, whether it's, you know, big reporters for certain major sports leagues? Uh, who are some of the people that were let go here? Well, for starters, they cut a bunch of NHL writers. And you might say, well, that's not surprising. You know, hockey just isn't there where the big three leagues are. But if you're a hockey fan, it's upsetting. Uh, There were veteran hockey writers who've been there a long time who got let go. Uh, And then more prominently, people like Mark Stein, who's a a big, big NBA reporter. Also, um, Andy Katz, who had been there for decades. College basketball guy. College basketball guy. I mean, these are people with major, major followings who have a lot of readers. And in many cases, you look at what they've done and you wonder, well, gosh, if they get cut, who doesn't get cut? I mean, they were doing it all, some of these people. But I would say the, the general theme to these cuts was, you know, it wasn't enough to be a one-sport person now. They want their personalities to cover many sports and do all platforms, you know, use Twitter, use social, uh, go on TV, go on radio, host a podcast. And they, really, they really expect a lot of these people, and, of course, many of them were making a lot of money. But, uh, look, this was a drop in the bucket in terms of, of costs. So I actually think these cuts, there's a case to be made that it was less about, okay, we've just cut this amount in expenses, and more about a strategy shift. And they said that overtly. I, I mean, in a public statement from John Skipper, the president, uh, they said that, you know, we're shifting our strategy toward personality-driven programming. And, ooh, you know, that, that raises the hackles for a lot of people. They say personality-driven. That sounds like hot takes. So a strategy shift, 
personality driven, all this social stuff, the future is looking different for ESPN. Why is the current climate there so bad? Like, what is the problem with ESPN right now? I mean, Miles isn't watching it as much, but I mean, <laughs> besides him. It, it's not just me. Okay. So like, we, how many, how bad are the ratings right now? Uh, is there, are advertising rates down? Like, I just don't understand really the depth of the problem there. So there's a lot going on, uh, but as I mentioned before, one fascinating sort of insidery practice here, inside baseball sometimes it's called, is it's interesting to me how everyone, when they discuss what's going on at ESPN, thinks it's one thing. They want to point to the one thing. This is the problem. No, there's a lot going on. One is there are major changes happening in digital media and in sports media that are beyond ESPN's control to an extent that everyone is suffering from. Uh, in television, cord cutting. Everyone in the TV business is going through these problems. When we say, ooh, subscriptions are down to ESPN, well, that's not people who've decided, I don't like ESPN anymore, and so I'm going to cut just ESPN. You can't really do that. Uh, at, at best, you could call up your cable company and say, I want to cut my whole premium package. So you would lose a lot of channels along with it. But more commonly, what's happening is people are deciding they don't need to pay for cable at all anymore. So that's one, you know, one more number of a person who no longer receives ESPN. Before you talk about the rest of the problems, can I ask this idea that ESPN would just kind of go it alone? Like, Miles, would you or do you think other people would subscribe to ESPN and not cut the cord if you could just pay for ESPN? Yeah, I mean, the problem that ESPN has, at least in my view, is that uh, th they're not going to be able to find that marginal customer who wants to pay just for ESPN because most of the people who are paying for cable actually don't want ESPN at all. So households that have cable has gone from about 100 million down to somewhere around 80 million in the last five years. A lot of that, as Dan said, is because it's very expensive and just things are bundled in there that you don't really need. And ESPN is the most expensive part of that bundle. I think it's, what, six bucks per carrier they get, and Fox News is the next highest. They get about $1.50, so four times the next biggest cost. So it's going to be hard for ESPN to get a millennial, let's say like myself, um, who has other ways, which I know Dan will tell us, of acquiring access to ESPN without having to just buy an over-the-top thing. Okay, so I just want to get that over with. Their subs are down like 12 million from 2011, but That's they're not exactly all right. going to come back if we just offered Miles and his ilk a, a cheaper alternative. So there, there's other issues. Well, that's Miles' theory. Uh, now, personally, I would be willing to pay for a standalone product, and we've all been waiting for that. People have said for years, why can't I just get everything a la carte? Well, why? Because that would be the death of the cable industry. Uh, that's what they all don't want and what the advertisers don't want, but we are finally moving toward it. I mean, my favorite example is, for years, everyone said, you're not going to be able to get HBO you know, online on a, on a streaming platform without paying for cable. Well, now you can. It's called HBO Now. It's a standalone product. We call it OTT. And it's, you know, $15 a month or $20 a month, one of those. And it allows you to get access to every HBO series there ever was on your iPad, phone, or computer, or connected TV. That's kind of amazing, isn't it? And so we're waiting for ESPN to go in that direction, but they're pumping those brakes because they have these long, endemic, built-in, huge, mega rights fees and relationships with the leagues and with you know, other partners that they don't want to break yet. But look, I think Andy Serwer, our editor-in-chief, put it best on one of our live shows a couple months ago when they did the layoffs. He said the biggest problem in a very simple sense is like <laughs> the model for their business is people receiving something that they don't necessarily want. You've got a lot of people who get ESPN and they don't want it. Well, that's not a great business model we're starting to see.
That's why some analysts have referred to it as over-earning. ESPN, does, they over-earn you for I Disney. Mean, you could call this a natural correction. Um, but, Dan, to go back to something you said about the ecosystem. So ESPN is now, I think it's on ESPN2, is airing MLB Network programming for a half hour. So It's unprecedented. I think what's interesting to me about the prospect of ESPN going over the top is that they count on someone who is a sports fan needing cable because when there's nothing on ESPN, you don't go to watch TBS like you might on Sling because I have Sling, so you can get HGTV and TBS, right? You're going to go to NHL Network, MLB Network, and um, NFL Network for some other sports programming and all of those little bundles are, you know, again, if it costs 60 cents to get NFL Network, it costs 30 cents to get uh, some other show that's, you know, showing reruns, IFC or something like that. So, the cable companies are incentivized to still try and get you in the big bundle. And if ESPN breaks out, they're going to really upset someone like Comcast or our current owners, Verizon, who is trying to offer you a bigger package than just ESPN. Yeah, absolutely. That's one of the issues. Uh, and I, I wonder, you know, I, I did an interview with the guy who's currently the head of all news programming, which includes SportsCenter at ESPN. And I said, you know, if you were ever to do that, would it require you to give some kind of kill fee to some of these partners? I mean, there'd have to be some kind of restitution, right? And and he didn't want to get too into it, didn't really have a great answer for that. And, and in fact, right now, I think a lot of it is optics where they know where it's heading, right? I mean, how could they not know? How Unless they're in full denial and they're delusional, they know that these young people who either cut the cord, decide to no longer pay for cable, or what we call cord nevers, they've never paid for cable. That's me. They're not going to come back, at least not to the traditional full cable package. I'm never going to pay for that because, personally, the only things I care about and want to receive are HBO, Showtime, ESPN. So, of course, going back to what you said, I personally would pay for a standalone, over-the-top ESPN product, but I know you might not. That's fine. But part of this, what relates here, and something I was going to say earlier in terms of the causes, there's also been a proliferation of sports highlights and clips and summaries online. And they're so, so fun to watch. Yeah. And they only oh, take 20 seconds. It's I love them. It's viral. It's fun. It's sometimes they're jokey and silly, and sometimes it's just really utilitarian and functional. Like, ooh, I didn't watch game three of the finals because this series has been bad. And I know it's going to be another blowout. It was 2-0. And so I didn't watch. And the next morning when I wake up at 7, the first thing I'd like to see is a video highlight. I don't want to see four guys in suits with big, thick, wide knot neckties talking about the game. I just want the highlight video. Now, that used to be where you'd go to Sports Center for. Sports Center was the go-to destination. You want the highlights? That's what it is. But that has changed. Well, now I can get that little tiny clippy on so many different places, Instagram, Twitter, Snapchat. And that has been a problem for TV channels. So let's talk about SportsCenter a little bit. Um, SportsCenter is sort of ground zero in a way of where ESPN has begun to shift their programming focus, where they've started to make it more of a a mix between what, like a first like a first take kind of sports talk show and a straight newscast. I think everybody in news, us included, loves this idea of, well, you could do the news but also have some kind of personality. But really, how often does that work and how many situations has that ended up succeeding? Um, I think it's a very tough needle to thread. So uh, let's talk about a specific sports center broadcast, the SC6 broadcast. Um, this is sort of a very... I mean, it's weird that it's controversial. I think it's a it's a completely fine show that uh, does well and would be fine to spend an hour watching. But Dan, please tell us why everyone is so upset about the 6 p.m. Eastern Sports Center. Well, let me just very quickly start by saying that every single primetime evening slot of Sports Center is down. The ratings are down for every single one of them 
from last year versus last year. Now, SC Midnight is down the least. It's almost flat. That's with Scott Van Pelt. That's Scott Van Pelt. And that's a good example of where ESPN is trying to go, and that's that phrase, personality-driven. They pushed SC Midnight hard, or they call it, um, I guess, just Sports Center Midnight, you know, with SVP. They pushed that hard, promoted hard when they put Scott into that slot, and it has worked pretty well. You could say the ratings at that time slot have stabilized. They're down just slightly, but, you know, down less than before. And it's all around Scott's personal ethos and tastes. Yes, there's a little bit of the traditional sports center. He summarizes for you what you've just seen. It also has the benefit of coming on right after the game's ended. So he follows up the sports game of the evening, and he gets right into it. But then there's a guest, and there's wacky, fun things. Then he does, uh, what does he call it, my take, or there's some sort of... Um, yeah, it's some sort of like an essay situation. Yeah, it's like my thought of the night. Oh, it's called One Big Thing. And Scott uh, does a soliloquy. And some people might say, oh, you know, I, I don't want to see that. But somehow it kind of works. It's funny. It's smart. It's interesting. It might be inflammatory. You might disagree with it, but it gets you thinking. And so they're now applying that to other sports center slots. And as Miles says, the most controversial, SC6. What they did is they took these um, two hosts that previously had a show called His and Hers, and that is Jamel Hill and Michael Smith, uh, both black, both young, both talkative and chatty and interested in pop culture, have a lot to say, have a lot of opinions, and they have this great talk show, His and Hers. It worked very well. Took them off His and Hers, that show's gone, and they said, now we're going to have you host SportsCenter, and they, they thought that would go well. It has not gone well. And a lot of people will tell you that, well, it's because they talk so much about pop culture, and it's all opinions, and it's not SportsCenter. But also, you know what? I think a lot of people might just be racist, but a lot of people don't like this SportsCenter. Wow. I didn't know we were going there. Well, is that I'll really go there. are, are think, people saying I think that? A lot I know of people that complain are racist. Do you? I, I know that there are some politics involved. Absolutely. In oh, this is a much center. larger thing. So going you're on kind of ESPN. opening up this this can of worms for us here. Oh yeah, because I mean, everything it's Trump's America now, right? I, everything kind of comes everything back to this is question. partisan. Yeah. Absolutely, and in fact, look, the reason I say that is because if you search. SC6 on Twitter, you know, click the hashtag SC6. The vast majority of tweets are negative. They're critical of the show. And they're from people saying, you know, this show sucks. It's garbage. Liberal, liberal bias. And that didn't start with SC6. That's been a, a rallying cry about ESPN for maybe over a year. And I'm not going to say that that exists for no reason. You know, it, it doesn't have zero basis. I disagree with it. And I think it's ironic because traditionally I would have said ESPN is conservative. It's, you know, football that, coaches from the South. That would have been my guess. I think yeah. it's very much a conservative network. But a couple things happened that were the inciting events. And now the reason it relates to SC6 is everyone kind of lumps it all together and piles on and says ESPN is liberal. But when people say, oh, ESPN went liberal, they're complaining about a couple of inciting events. One was ESPN in 2015 gave its Arthur Ashe Courage Award, which has been around for years and is always highly covered and an interesting thing, to Caitlyn Jenner for bravery at, at you know, doing this, making this change, being very public about it, being a, an ins- a source of inspiration for the trans community. And people said, you know, that's, that's liberal and it has nothing to do with sports too. And, you know, I, I support all people, support the trans community, but, but I'm not sure I disagree completely, except just because when you look at other recipients of the Arthur Ashe Courage Award, it was certainly an anomaly. Other recipients have included a football player last year who sacrificed his life to shield two children from stray bullets, and he saved their lives and died. Uh, this year, the award recipient they've announced posthumously is the founder of the Special Olympics. And then you look at giving it to Caitlyn Jenner, 
And I don't, I don't want to opine on that any further, just to say that it doesn't surprise me that some people were angry about that. And then another thing, they fired Kurt Schilling, a conservative firebrand who tweets conservative things on Twitter. And everyone said, they fired him because he's conservative. Well, I don't think so. I think they fired him because he tweeted a lot of offensive memes. But these things add up. Well, I believe Caitlyn Jenner has said that she's a Republican. So there's that. Um, but the, It's fascinating, well, isn't it? You, yeah. You and I discussed um, previously about the Caitlyn Jenner issue specifically was that I think it was more of just a generation gap, perhaps even at ESPN management, that everyone remembered when she was Bruce Jenner in the 70s and was an enormous deal. Like it, we, we don't understand now how big of a deal it was to be the best decathlete in the world, to be an Olympic gold medalist. Wheaties box. Wheaties box, huge endorsement, commercials, the whole bit. Um, because it wasn't, you know, saturation. In the 70s, the NBA was a bit sport. The NFL was popular, but it wasn't anything like it is now. Baseball was the biggest sport. Um, and frankly, you know, America was kind of coming out of the, the 60s, and things were just a lot different than than they are now. And so I, I think that people um, remembered uh, when Bruce was a huge deal. Uh, perhaps, you know, again, I'm sure that John Skipper remembered that very well, but a Absolutely. lot of the viewers of the ESPYs, a lot of the viewers of ESPN in general, were like, why am I watching uh, the person from the Kardashians exactly who right. was a man and is now a woman that has nothing to do with sports, when in fact for, you know, my, my parents, for example, you know, knew exactly what that was about and knew that it was a huge deal and were almost surprised to learn that Bruce Jenner had become a reality TV star because they only remembered him as an athlete. So um, I think that's kind of a tension that exists in the network. And to go back to the SC6 discussion, I was thinking as you were talking about that, that the lead into that is, pardon the interruption, which is Mike Wilbon, Tony Kornheiser, both guys who I think are at least in their 60s, uh, a very old school kind of take on oh, how you argue about sports, right? Yeah. Everything is down the middle. I say this, you say that. They both kind of mean it. They both kind of don't. They're really just buddies. They talk mostly about the country clubs they go playing golf at. They don't really do any reporting anymore. But it it worked in the 80s and 90s. And, and it, honestly, it still works now. I listen to Tony's podcast, but it's <laughs> just kind of how... The network and I think the sports, you know, uh, ecosystem, right, has really failed to translate from how do you get from Kornheiser to Bill Simmons to whatever this next generation is going to be? Because right now there there really is nothing. I like, pardon the interruption. It's great. I'm just going to come in with that. I don't know what that says about me, but I, I actually, uh, I know that one and I like it. So I think people like the structure of it. I think that the countdown clock, even if they don't stick to it, I think people like knowing that there are things that are coming up. But how do they Familiar. bridge this generation gap then? Because whether it's between the differences of these shows or it's the, you know, Caitlin award, what do they do? If you, you say they know the writings on the wall. So what do they do? Yeah, it's really hard. Uh, look, pro golf has this same issue right now, right? Uh, and any print magazine has this issue. You need to keep your base. And to go back to ESPN, let's say that, call that, you know, uh, male sports fans over 45. You don't want to lose those people. And I also, I know this is a generalization, but in most cases, those people aren't finding clips on Snapchat, Instagram, Twitter. They go home and they will sit on the couch and watch TV. So you don't want to alienate them too much, and there's a sense that something like SC6 is alienating many of them. But at the same time, you must capture and gather or try your damnedest to these young viewers. And so how do you do that? Well, I think a lot of it has to happen on digital. So just recently, two weeks ago, and, and we had the exclusive on this, uh, ESPN announced that it's going to start 
all day mini sports center updates, clips that go everywhere. They go on TV, yes, but they also instantly go on uh, social media and they go on ESPN.com and they go on the ESPN mobile app. And that, that is free, by the way, these clips. That, that's not to be confused with Watch ESPN, their streaming platform that you would have to be a cable subscriber to receive. And that's interesting. That's a step in the right direction. Uh, not to be at all, you know, patting ourselves on the shoulder here, but but I will say this is the kind of thing Yahoo has been doing for years. I mean, doing a, a digital web show is not a brand new concept. You, Jen, hosts one of our three daily live shows at 4 p.m. Thank you, 4 p.m. Right. So Company man, Dan Roberts. <laughs> well, I mean, look, uh, part of this is optics. Part of this is ESPN trying to take credit as, look at this shiny new thing. Oh, it's a, you're maybe three or four years late on this. But, hey, you know, better late than never. And this is a step in the right direction. Find Finally, ESPN is acknowledging, gosh, we must be putting some of our programming on something other than a traditional television box. You said that this is something that everyone's dealing with, print and, and magazines as well. But something that is particular to ESPN is their programming costs, which I believe oh, are yeah. something like $8 billion that they're going to be paying this for programming. Yep. So that seems just like a huge monster to try and get your head around. Do they keep paying up? for events? That's another major question here. Uh, earlier when you were asking me what's going on, I said so many different things. One is cord cutting. Another is proliferation of video clips on digital. But another is the rights fees. And they're just, they've skyrocketed. And it's sort of like the situation is not tenable here. I mean, if it's a scale, I mean, the rights fees they have to pay to get to show certain games are going up, 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 up. But meanwhile, the subscriptions are going down, down, down. Something has to give here. So, well, the easy hot take is you say they're overpaying. They overpaid for NBA. They shouldn't do it. But if they don't buy those rights, well, then FS1 gets it, Fox Sports, its biggest competitor, or someone else buys it. And boy, if ESPN doesn't have primetime games every year, not all of them, but a lot of them, well, then what is it now? I mean, as Miles said earlier, a lot of people now, they may, they may not watch it every day. They may not make a personal appointment to go home and make sure they see PTI, but they know that very often ESPN is the channel that has tonight's game. Uh, now, of course, many young people now, they're completely channel agnostic, as Miles said. You know, if ESPN doesn't have the game tonight, they'll watch NBC, Fox, TNT, TBS, whatever channel has the game, that's the channel you'll watch. Fine. But certainly ESPN is still the biggest brand in sports. I don't dispute, you know, the title of worldwide leader. Just look at it on Twitter and Instagram. It is by far the most followed biggest brand, and especially the SportsCenter brand. SportsCenter, as a, you know, the official SportsCenter handle, has more followers on social media than the main ESPN handle. So those things aren't going away, but what does the brand mean to someone young who's 13 and maybe his family doesn't get cable? Or, God forbid, maybe he's not a huge sports fan yet, and that's because of the, you know, kind of decline in, in sports television. My kid's 12, and he does—I've never seen him watch SportsCenter, but every morning he is watching all of the baseball highlights, and I don't, I don't even know where he watches them. Well, that's certainly a problem for ESPN. It's also a problem for Instagram and Facebook, and maybe you. If you <laughs> don't exactly know where what your child is. You, <laughs> you get them wherever you can. It's a total hodgepodge. I mean, anecdotally, that's my morning, too, is if I want to watch clips from a few different games last night, I'll watch them wherever I can get them, and I'm not always conscious of where it is. I mean, sometimes MLB.com is the only place to get baseball clips, and it's annoying, and you watch an ad, but... Well, it is what it is, and I'll watch the ad. And then I go to Instagram, and I see SportsCenter on Instagram. I'll bet you, by the way, that your son does know the brand SportsCenter, even if he has never watched SportsCenter on TV. So what can they do with that? 
Yeah, I mean, the problem for ESPN is, to your point about the rights fees, is, you know, every, it's such an easy thing to say, you know, oh, they overpaid, they overpaid. But, I, I mean, I think, you know, this time of year is a great example where ESPN is airing the college baseball super regional and the women's softball world series and honestly the production value on this stuff is top notch it's just as good as watching an mlb game and not to call out any specific other networks but there are other niche players in live sports and they simply just don't do as good a job they don't have the kind of numbers and so while this current round of sports rights gaudy numbers with respect to the nfl and the nba i think overall espn is still going to offer value to someone looking to get an advertisement in front of a viewer that they know is watching something live and they know is probably sitting through the commercials. I agree completely. And that's what is so sad about some of these cuts. You know, they really gutted Baseball Tonight, which is a really good a show I remember watching every night when I was 10 years old. Yeah, uh, that was every weeknight. Um, they just gutted it. And as you mentioned uh, briefly earlier, now they've basically co-opted a lot of their baseball coverage to baseball net MLB Network. And that is unprecedented, and I think you're going to start to see more programs from other networks show up on ESPN through licensing deals. And, boy, that's a, that's a new day, and that's sad, but it, it, it does, it's a good example of, well, how can they continue to have that level of quality that we remember, that you and I remember from Baseball Tonight, with significantly less resources? I just don't know. Now it's only going to be on Sunday nights right before Sunday Night Baseball, and that's a shame. Yeah. And I mean, it kind of, you know, it goes to all these questions about, you know, we, we read sports stories of, oh, this player, he'll be so great on TV. That player will be so great on TV. And you do wonder if, if those jobs are just simply not going to come through. You know, you look at something like NFL Countdown, that staff turns over, what, once every five years. Uh, Tom Jackson's been on the show for 25 years, maybe. Chris Berman's been at the network since its inception. So there's a whole ecosystem around people who talk about sports on TV, people who watch sports on TV, the people who play sports on TV. We haven't even gotten to things like what it's, what's it's going to do to the NBA salary cap in the next CBA negotiations and all these things that I think we could sort of uh, go on all day. It's certainly a bigger story than just simply uh, ESPN has an inherent political bias and that's right. why people are cutting the cord. It's clearly a kind of a business, cultural, um, you know, more of a cyclical story. As a sports fan, you guys are kind of making me sad. So... Dan Roberts, I'm going to let you. I'm really bullish on baseball, though. Are you bullish on baseball? I'm this bullish. year. Come back. Uh, this yeah, the year. The Yankees are exciting again. I, it's a great time to be a baseball fan in New York. I want the the long-term ESPN bull market case. Well, so end that cause... for me and, and give me some hope. that You know, because I'm a sports fan. I was watching the softball uh, girls, ladies, whatever you call it, World Series, and it was great. It was really yeah. fun oh, to watch, and you have to be so thankful that it's getting coverage Fantastic. in some way. So give me the bull case on it. I'm glad you asked because you guys were saying, don't worry, I'm bullish on baseball. I'm still bullish on ESPN. Uh, you know, I'm always careful to, to mention that. I, I, I want that clear. I mean, I think that a lot of places, even just by objectively covering what's going on with the network and with Disney's ownership, people, as they are wont to do with news more and more these days, they share it and manipulate it to prove their own point. So they share the stories and they say, see, ESPN is dead or ESPN is dying. Well, no, it's not dying. And by the way, it's still extremely profitable. That's another thing so many places get wrong. They say ESPN is losing money. No, it's not. It's still very profitable, but it's less profitable than it has been in the past. And as we know, with these big publicly traded companies and they have shareholders who are very demanding, 
profits must go up every year, and if they don't, uh-oh, we're in trouble. Well, ESPN is not as profitable as it once was, but it makes money. And the bull case would be, okay, it's being disrupted. It's being fragmented as the entire cable industry is being. Yes, yes, yes. But can you name a competitor or rival or separate property that looks like it is coming for ESPN and is soon going to be bigger or is already bigger? No, there's nothing even close. Now, you might say, well, if, if you want to be a real skeptic and bring in all the tech companies, well, Facebook or Twitter could overtake it as a, as a go-to destination for sports. Maybe. You know, that's a, that's a different kind of argument. Maybe Facebook or, or Amazon, they're getting very powerful very quickly. Maybe Hulu goes into live sports. You know, for now it hasn't done that. Netflix hasn't touched sports. Maybe one of them. But in terms of entities that exist right now for sports coverage and sports television and sports video, there's just nothing else. I mean, ESPN is still the worldwide leader and it must adapt. It must change. It's going to be painful, baby, but it'll do it. It has to. Well, I guess the best case for ESPN then is the fact that they're, uh, they're, you know, the thing that will take them out does not yet exist. Uh, it seems to me, you know, maybe it's Facebook or Amazon, but most often the real disruption, the thing that really takes you down, is something that you can't even see coming, even from years out. Uh, Dan Roberts, thanks so much for joining us to talk about ESPN. I think we could go on this um, all day. And uh, Jen Rogers, thanks for letting me come in as co-host. I know you are the usual co-host of the Yahoo Finance podcast. Thank you for letting me come in on this. Very interesting. Please uh, subscribe to the Yahoo Finance podcast. You can do that on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Good fun, guys. 